and not just in service to the family. You want a feminist that includes women who have children and want children because that's the majority of women. She further stated, this particular woman, that a view of sexual liberation that turns women into a sex object is a false freedom that denies a woman's personhood. So when I was preparing for this talk, the word that probably stuck out the most was freedom. Um, just in terms of me trying to figure out the theme to offer you, we're going to talk a lot tonight about what does it mean to be free and what is freedom. And we're also going to talk a lot about what does it mean to be a person and what is personhood. Um, so understanding, though, where this originally started, I want you to like, think about what would happen, what does that look like, what does it mean to be free? In terms of women's liberation and freedom, this is where this the quote continues, and I want you to listen because this is like new for women. Women only follow this because they thought this is how they are going to be in the following women. Okay? For a smart woman to be free and succeed in her career and her life was to number one, she had to work hard. Number two, take the pillars from other contraceptives. And number three, if the contraceptive failed, she should get an abortion. In an unseen way, which included me at the time, the sexual revolution was both for unmarried sex and against motherhood. The two went hand in hand. Okay, here I'm going to just to review some basic points here. It's different from men. A guy could go to work, doesn't matter if he followed a child the night before or two years ago, it's not going to affect him being able to show up for work and get the 40 hours a week, right? However, for a woman, if she is pregnant, it's going to affect her giving the 40 hours a week, right? That's just a fact. Does it mean that she should be prejudiced against? No. But you have to understand that at this time of history, the 60s and the 70s, women were totally being fired because they were pregnant. Because it was an inconvenience for the guy who was in charge of that was, right? So we could understand support why women at this time were like, hey, um, we deserve equality to be recognized, and we would agree with that. The problem is that other people, another woman, um, she was saying, especially the woman who started cosmopolitan, that the ideal life for a woman would be able to be single and quote free. And her definition of freedom was, well, I want to be able to be like a man. Meaning, she didn't say I want to be like a man, but it reflected that. Because she said, what I want is to be able to have sex and not grow up having a baby. Right? Because a man, if he has sex, he's going to carry a baby. A woman does, and she is going to carry babies. Do you see the difference? Okay. So this last part of the quote, she said, this was this is the woman who's writing about the original movement, and she wrote this quote that I recommend. She said, this was hardcore sex revolution propaganda masquerading as fluff. As we visibly pretended to set women sexually free from their biology, we had the pill of abortion. We were invisibly catering to and even helping to create millions of sexually troubled, insecure, confused women who were likely to attract equally confused, insecure men. So, what the heck do I mean by contraception and freedom and women to be talking about sex? Um, for the record, I want to talk about contraception, just to be clear. When I'm talking about contraception, anything that's basically conception. That could be chemical, so like the birth control pill. Um, it can be a vaginal ring, it can be an IUD, which is an intrauterine device, it can be a metal coil that's inserted into the uterus, it can be injections in your arm, it can be an implant in your arm. I mean, I can go on with this and this, right? Hear me though when I say, if we are rational creatures, this is absurd that what we're doing is like we're inserting things that's going in the arms to control their fertility, right? We insert things into like 
animus, right? We brand cattle. This does not make any sense in terms of for personal, but sure you have the capacity to know that we resort to, um, in a sense, branding women or, you know, taking away, in a sense, truly, their freedom to be able to choose how women and to do how they get to their bodies. It sort of just assumes, well, women are going to react to impulses and they can't control themselves. It's really what it's saying. In fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics a few years ago said that adolescent girls are incapable of being responsible enough to take a birth control pill every day. So it recommends to parents that you should insert IUDs, which is an intruder device, which is not nice, okay, into the uterus of your girls, of your teenage girls, okay? As a parent, to think that there's no other option other than to insert an IUD says a lot of things. One of which, you probably didn't learn a lot of it, you weren't given, well, we can talk about, it's a gift that we can learn the truth now, right, about different things. Um, but there's a lot of fear for you to do something like that and call it health. Does that make sense? To insert something into your daughter's body to prevent her from conceiving a child. Instead of being able to have a conversation with her where you talk about the fact that there are things she can and maybe there's other things she does not have to do that can actually help her not get a child. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. So, in the time of the sexual revolution, which is the 1960s, the church came out with something called Humanitite. I'm going to spell it. Not to be fair, but I did. So this is the encyclical against contraception, okay? There's a lot that it says, but the important part is that the church was saying, okay, every other religious denomination until the 1930s was on the same page with us, and then they started to fall away. And so the whole world is looking at the church, and they're like, hey, it's about time to get on board with everyone else. So the church has this whole commission and they study this. And it's not that everyone agreed in it, but the Pope, who is Pope Paul VI, had the final say. And he really felt, and John Paul II echoed this, that he had no right to change the church's teaching. That at the end of the day, contraception goes against what it means to be human because it divorces the procreative or the capacity to have life portion of the sexual act from the intimacy between the spouses. The church is always about integration. So the simplest thing I can offer is that what Paul VI did say, and this is 50 years ago, I'm super excited, this is the 50th anniversary, super cool. But what he predicted was that these four things were going to happen, okay, if people started to accept contraception as mainstream medicine. So number one, he predicted there would be a general lowering of moral standards throughout society. Number two, there would be a rise in infidelity. Number three, there would be a lessening of respect for women by men. And number four, there would be the coercive use of reproductive technologies by governments. Yeah, that's 50 years ago. And you tell me, does it happen? Yeah, he's right. I mean, it's kind of sad, but it's true. He's right. So, as you probably see, I love this meme. It says at the bottom, I told you so. And I'm super sure it's fine. Anyway, moving on. So the point, though, is it's not like he, he wanted to be right. It's like, oh, we're all wrong. I'm just going to take oil on the front. No. But he's protecting the dignity of woman. And so by protecting the dignity of woman, he's protecting the dignity of man. Right? If woman is the guardian of life, the man is the guardian of woman, in a sense, then how does man become the guardian of life? By being faithful to his call to guard the dignity of woman. It is the gift of their own person, which includes their bodies, which includes their sexuality, which includes their fertility. 
Does that make sense? Okay. So, um, this is a picture from the Sistine Chapel. I've used it before. We're used to seeing the fingers of Adam and God the Father touch. But what people usually don't see is that behind God the Father's arm is Eve. So the point of the artist is trying to portray is that Eve has always existed in the mind of God. She's never not existing in his mind, but he's preparing a place for her, um, as he's preparing a place as well for Adam. So to review, it's important to make sure we talk about what is the meaning of a human person. I'm going to go this kind of fast, but to be human means right, that we have a capacity, or maybe that's the image of life, so we have a capacity to know and to choose. The most important way that we can choose anything, right, that the greatest action we can offer is in our choice to love. If I ask you, you're in first grade, okay, and your teacher gives you a religious test, and she's like, God is love. You're going to put God is love. We all know that it means, right? So the reason why that's the greatest way in which we can offer ourselves is because when we do that, we literally reflect all of creation, the created world, which includes human beings, God's existence and his goodness and his love. We reflect God's identity. That is a capacity that makes us different than the animals, right? Animals are cute. I think puppies are better than cats, but I think they're all cute, right? And so I respect that God made these beautiful, wonderful creatures. However, I would be lying if I said we were the same, right? And there's a reason why, and like it's funny, but it's true, we don't see puppies that are like gathering together and voting people into the Senate, right? And like voting for a puppy president. It doesn't exist. And that's okay. I don't lose to. That's not natural to their being as an animal. But if we are human beings, say we have human nature, meaning we are creatures that are created in a way that's different than the animals, there's a lot of similarities, but the difference is the key is the rational nature, right? Um, so how can I live, though, in this world, right? In terms of being a human being, I need a body and a soul. The soul is the part, right, that God has made that has reflected me, but it's not the only part. As a human being, we are an integrated whole. So we are soul plus body. Right? I don't go to the doctor if I have a broken arm and I'm like, oh, like that arm over there, it's broken. I'm like, it's my arm. It's part of me. Right? So, two, for you, the only thing you have when you come into this world, and the only thing you're going to have when you leave it, that is tangible and material, is what? That question could have been displayed. At the moment of your death, not the only one, what do you have? A body, right? Your soul's gonna live on, the body's gonna die, but the only way you have your body. Not materials, not other people, in terms of the only thing you have is your body. So that means that in and through your body, that is how you can offer the greatest gift that is possible to offer because it's you. You can only offer yourself in and through the things of your body. Right? We don't want to ever denigrate or get rid of the importance of the body. And so that's kind of the gift of what I'm trying to offer you tonight. So, um, specifically for women, right? Since we're about to dive into more of the biology of that, you know, how is a woman unique spiritually? Well, when we say with femininity, who is a woman? We say first and foremost, every woman is a daughter. And then from that space, she grows. She remains a daughter, and she also becomes a sister. Um, and then from there, moving out in a relationship, she becomes a bride or a wife, and then she also becomes a mother. Now, this is first and foremost a spiritual reality. So every single woman is called to be a mother. And I can say that because even if she doesn't get married to a like, flesh and blood man, she still begets life to those around her by her person. 
right? Like, I get to offer you a gift of truth. They're like, you're marrying me, but I'm like offering you a gift of truth, right? It's a spiritual life giving. Does that make sense? So it's a participation in sharing life with those around you. And for men, it would obviously mirror this son, brother, bridegroom, father. Um, so the key to all of this really is does God have a plan for our lives? We're about to talk about women's health um, and the craziness that we can find in that sphere. Um, we need to remember that God the Father has created us with a purpose and so He has not left us in orphans. Um, first, I want you to look at the scripture quotes and just note them because I would love for you to pray with them later. Um, especially this one about um, offering your bodies to live and sacrifice, it's going to be really important. So, continuing on, questioning yourself about, well, what is woman's dignity? Where does that come from? How does that work? This is from John Paul II. Um, it says, A woman's dignity is closely connected with the love which she receives by the very reason of her femininity. It is likewise connected with the love which she gives in return. The truth about the person and about love is thus confirmed. Man, and so woman, who is the only creature on earth that God will for its own sake, cannot fully really find himself except for a sincere gift of self. This applies to every human being as a person creating God's image, whether man or woman. Woman can only find herself by giving love to others. So this is the call, right? The temptation that the culture is offering is that for women, what the culture is saying is to be free, you have to separate yourself from your body. In the sense of you need to divorce yourself from your body is naturally created in works, especially through gifts of your fertility. So what I want to offer you is that's hogwash. Use whatever word you want. The point is, right, why would I ever find freedom by becoming other than who I am? There's only one creature in history who usually accidentally sent us to do that, and it's the enemy, right? It's Satan. He even goes to Jesus and is coming out of the desert after he fasted for 40 days. And if you really were the Son of God, then do this, right? Tell him to do it different ways. God doesn't need to prove his identity to the enemy, he knows who he is. So too, right? If you don't need to change who you are to satisfy the world around you, or to find the freedom that as women you so desire, right? That's a temptation that it's not going to lead you to happiness or fulfillment, which is what we all think that we're going to be happy when we fulfill. John Paul II is offering another option to say that you only find happiness and fulfillment if you're offering it to yourself to the around you, right? This is for women. So, um, John Paul II, when he was speaking to you, he wanted to remind him, so go for him, he said, God has a plan for us, a plan for our lives, for our bodies, for our souls, for our future. This plan for us is extremely important, so important that God became man to explain it to us. Did you hear that? God became man to explain it to us? He's very incarnational. The body is good. Otherwise, he would have assumed one, but he took it on fully. Fully God, fully man. Despite the of original sin, the call to love is still stamped into one's anatomy. John Paul called it the spousal meaning of the body. To understand what it means to be human, one must understand this. The human body has the power to express the love by which the human person becomes a gift, thus fulfilling the deep meaning of his or her being in existence. So again, if woman is called, to offer sincere gifts of herself to others, she can only do that in the gift of her body. So, 
Um, so, but if there's no concession, then what happens? What's happening is there's a layer here that's building up. It's called the endometrial lining and the endometrium. And you'll see in the next slide. As it builds up, it's creating the perfect, most hospitable environment so that if there's a conception, baby has a really healthy place to implant. But if there's no baby and there's no need for implantation, when the body does it, we say it sloughs off that tissue and it comes out and that's how we have a period. She's like, it's but the point is that it's happening so that the body can restart the process again to create the best, most hospitable environment so that if and when life occurs, it occurs in the healthiest way. Does that make sense? Something really important is this organ right here at the base of the uterus. It's called the cervix. Um, if you were to like go in and magnify it, they have little what they call crypts, so little like inlet spaces. Inside of those crypts is produced something Clearly, you can tell we're getting super biologically and we can handle this. Okay, it produces something called cervical mucus. Um, not music, sometimes people miss up there, it's kind of funny. But cervical mucus, I don't know, I need you to laugh because you're like, so you're not <laughs> Okay, cervical mucus, mucus, <laughs> is extremely important. What we learned growing up is that, I mean, someone figured this out. Sperm are important, and so are eggs for conception, obviously. But there's actually a third component that's really important. It's called cervical mucus. I consider it like the superhero quality because what happens is that in reality, right, without the cervical mucus, sperm are going to die within a few minutes. Minutes? That's not a lot of time. With good cervical mucus, sperm can live for three to five days. And then I look at her, some of them, and they're like, hey, you do realize that you're going crazy. 
And then you just be like, thanks. And then the husband or fiance is like, so laughing. He's like, I mean, and I'm like, no, like, look at your chart. And he knows. He's like, like, hello, for women, I would not go shopping or making major life decisions at the end of your cycle. It's just not wise, because you're always freaking out. Men, I wouldn't like berate them, like instead try and help them, love on them if they're going through that part of their cycle. Because their progesterone is dropping and they're pretty they're feeling pretty like mm, icky. I have a friend who's a priest uh, you know, gave me an intro session, and sometimes in spiritual direction, he'll tell women, like, you know what, you need to be aware of your cycle. Because it's gonna affect like I know it's crazy, you don't want to do it. But it's true, like in terms of knowing yourself and loving yourself and how you're gonna fast and peace and what you're doing, it's different for women than for men. I'm not saying we should fast. You understand what I'm saying. It's a gift and invitation through your body. Okay. Um, just magnifying though, and you can see even more of the whole factor for women. Um, these are the hundreds of fasts that have developed little follicles. And so what happens is one, um, eight, excuse me, one little egg gets chosen each month and it develops in its follicles. So this is like as time passes. When it's about an inch in diameter in reality, that's when we call it a mature follicle, and that's when the egg is going to be released from the ovary, all that ovulation. This follicle is extremely important because it's producing one of the two main hormones that are important for women's reproductive cycle, and it's producing estrogen. The leftover follicle is also extremely important. It's called the corpus luteum, which just means yellow for lack of body. And it's important because it produces the hormone progesterone. So there's a natural healthy fluctuation of the woman's hormones based on what's happening within her ovary, and that's also affecting what's happening online with her uterus. Okay? So we always start a woman's cycle. Day one is when the bleeding starts, so it's the sloughing off of the tissue. And then, like I said, it's the development and the growth of that endometrial lining so that the fluid conception occurs is the healthiest environment for baby and plant. So estrogen is called the proliferating phase, it's building it up. And then progesterone, the secretory phase, it's secreting all these nutrient-dense fluids again, so that the fluid conception occurs it's the healthiest environment possible. At the end, what's going to happen is that corpus luteum is going to cut off that production of progesterone, so it's not happening those amounts. So as it drops off, okay, that's the signal to the body to start the next cycle, to slough off the tissue. The dropping off of the progesterone is a thing that affecting your emotions, or headaches, or migraines, or seriously bad cramps, or brown bleeding at the end of your cycle, or other things I can tell you after. Um, I bring that up to say, this talk, we're talking about things within marriage as I'll get to, but it's not just about that. The reality is that every single woman in this room, a part of your health and knowing yourself right is your fertility, and I have so many students when I was teaching high school that would miss class, because they couldn't, you know, this happens for the record, just some women. They couldn't get off the floor because they're in a lot of pain. You don't have to like raise your hand, but like, you know what I'm talking about women in the room, how much pain you can be in. If something's not right with your cycle, but they didn't know there was any other option, right? So I'm saying that because if you're on the pill for health reasons, I'm not going to stand here and tell you, like, you need to get off of it tomorrow, you're going to die. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that I do think it's important that you know that there are other options for you. Because the World Health Organization has classified the birth control pill as a class A and class 1 carcinogen, which is a cancer-causing agent. That is a completely secular medical group, right? So what I'm not saying is you need to condemn yourself or go yell at your mom or tell your doctor you're stupid. Okay. Um, what I'm saying is, is 
now that you're at this age and you can make some more decisions and you know there's an option, I've listed resources for you that you can further learn more about your cycle and maybe get the help that you desire. And if you have medical questions, Dr. Robert Chastain is actually in the back of the room and I've worked with him for a few years and he's awesome. He's a natural doctor, meaning as a training practitioner, I would teach them how to chart with their cycles. And if they have underlying issues, I would refer them to a medical physician trained in what we call macro technology, which is just natural procreative technology. So they go together. Okay. Um, the point here is just to see that every single woman's cycle is different. Some women have short cycles, some have regular, some have long. Hey, guess what? Everyone's not the same. If you couldn't already tell that, we're not robots. We're not like cookie cutter. You can't just say everyone's going to operate on day 14, which is what people call for a lot. The point is that if this is a natural system, how can I with confidence I know as a woman what I'm actually going to operate, right? Which would be in time I would consider myself fertile. This little shaded region here, as the estrogen is increasing in the body, um, which is designated by the black bars, as the estrogen is increasing in the body, this estrogen in the red is progesterone. It's a signal, right, it's producing the cervical mucus, and right before ovulation, the estrogen is going to drop. But the point is that it's producing that mucus, which is really important, like you said before, for fertility. So every single woman knows that ovulation is approaching, and she's paying attention, she just goes to the bathroom and looks for tissue, because there's cervical mucus. Um, and what we teach women to do is, and this is what happens if you're going to ever do naturally funny. There's different models, there's different methods. I would have to give a whole talk on NFP to go through the details of each. There's a lot. But each one is broken down to make it simple for you to understand where your body works. This particular method is a cervical mucus method only. So a little bit focusing on that. This next slide I saw for the first time in 2009, meaning I was 20. Um, so your age. And I remember seeing it where I was, and I was like, holy cow. God is real. So, that's your intro. Okay. This is the cervix super magnified. These are the cricks. This is where the cervical mucus is produced. The kind of mucus that is produced by estrogen is called type B mucus. As you can see, this is what it looks like under the microscope. It lines itself up in parallel strands. Um, and it's created so that when the sperm comes, it helps the sperm to swim. There's actually even like a current, um, there's like something that I call furry, meaning it's like there's a, a malformation of the sperm that doesn't really let the sperm go through. This is how we know that a woman is fertile when we say her biological level is open. Um, the other kind of mucus that's produced, produced by progesterone is called type G mucus. It lines itself up in such a way that it's like a brick wall. Okay, just to review. Like interstate highway. Brick wall. Fertile, infertile. Gotta be that way. What? Like, can you, do you understand? Like, I saw it and I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is complex, but it's beautiful. And it's all connected, everything we just talked about. So, that was your little um, fertility awareness part of the talk. And just so you can see what we do for women that have issues with their cycles. We send them to get blood work on certain days. So the quickest way I would explain it is the difference between this and modern medicine is that it applies to ovarian disease or endometriosis, um, or even just really painful periods or cramps or migraines or acne or, or fatigue or you have insomnia at the end of your cycle or whatever is happening. We can target your 
um, hormone tests to be in line with where you actually are in your cycle instead of just sending you on some random day and saying you're fine. We know that there's healthy parameters for women to be in depending on where they are. And so by you charting, your chart is like your biological diary. Does that make sense? You are recording what's happening, right, internally on something that's external. That's huge. Um, it's extremely important, but you can also then see why it's something that's part of women's health. Authentic women's health care should be at least something that restores the reproductive integrity of a woman's system. It doesn't work to shut it down, which is unfortunately the pill that's chest down your ovaries. By shutting down your ovaries, it shuts down the fluctuation of your hormones. By shutting down the fluctuation of your hormones, it shuts down the symptoms that are bothering you. So if it's done for that reason, I totally understand why. Because you just want to feel better. That makes sense, right? But there are other options for you if you actually want to the source of the issue. And if you want to get married and you have issues, now is the best time to and try and figure that out. Um, because, because it's your health. And that's important regardless, right? Um, so, moving on. Um, what the heck is natural clinical clinic? Well, what it's not is this thing, which most of you probably don't recognize, but this is a little, thank you for laughing, you know, this is a little calendar, it's a rhythm thing, people are like, oh, we're going to have your captains are like, oh, blah, 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 blah. The point is, this thought, that if I put this on the day of the month, so let's say if someone starts your cycle on March 7th, and I just turn the dial, and I can figure out where day 14 is for her, and everyone is the same, so she's clearly in the eye on day 14. No. Which is why the people have babies on the rhythm method, because it's not scientific and it doesn't work. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. So I'll put that in a little box where you're like, okay, great, that's not what we're talking about. Now we're going to enter the box of science, working with the beautiful gift I got to give us in our minds. And so that's what we're talking about with natural planning and fertility awareness. So natural planning, which we're starting to move towards calling it fertility awareness methods, because it's also just for women's health. It's not just to avoid pregnancy, it is also to achieve pregnancy, for the record, which is important to know. Um, I had many couples that came trying to achieve pregnancy. Teach a couple to know with confidence when they're fertile and when they're infertile. If they feel called to avoid children for serious reasons, which can be anything, physical, psychological, emotional, um, job change, etc. They would only have intercourse during times of infertility. If they feel they are called to have children at that time, they have intercourse during times of fertility. Okay. I just gave you like the objective things about the best, but you get the point. To shift back to how we started this whole conversation, we have to remember the reason why I'm talking about any of this is not just for the biological context. It's for a deeper reality that is important with the sexual union that has to do with a woman's personhood as well as a man's personhood. In and through our bodies, this is how we make visible the invisible love of God, right? John Paul II said, there is no need to live in opposition to your fertility. He actually speaking to college students in Poland. He said, God who is Father, who is Creator, planted a reflection of His Creator's strength and power within man. We should sing hymns of praise to God the Creator for this reflection of Himself in us, and not only in our souls, but also in our bodies. Did you hear that? There was a priest talking to college students, and he said we should praise God for the gifts of how He created our bodies. 
because you realize that it's such a gift, right? And a reflection of God himself. So he says that modern man who are struggling with sexual confusion is not because the world glorifies sex too much, but the problem is actually that we fail to see the glory of our bodies. Right? We fail to see the glory and the goodness of our bodies in our bodies. And he's incarnational, he became man, he took on human flesh, and has so redeemed everything. And that in and through our bodies and giving ourselves fully to each other, we reflect into all creation because that is love. So, um, in response to those who say that, you know, we oppose the church, because she opposes contraception, and by doing so, she is going against advancing feminine sexual liberation, John Paul II is insisting that instead there's this natural need that we just talked about of avoiding conception when necessary, and he's asking me basically by that teaching, these are the questions you should think of. What if the woman's body is already perfectly made? What if she doesn't need drugs or chemicals or barriers in this whole thing? What if she simply needs to be understood? If a couple can learn the woman's fertility, consider the outcome. Instead of controlling her body with chemicals and devices in order to conform to their sexual desires, a couple learns to control their sexual desires in order to conform to the perfect way that God has created their bodies. This is authentic sexual liberation. Does this make sense? Okay. Instead of being controlled just by our bodies, it's this integration of both. And I'm a person, I get to choose how and when to do how I'm going to be in my body. Right? With the end goal, we, we talk so much about liberty in this culture, but how about we start talking about what's good? Right? Because this argument of freedom, like I said before, come back up. Freedom, what? Freedom from? Freedom from? Freedom from? Everything else is in my way. How about freedom for? Freedom for the sake of giving myself as a gift to another. Right? Um, not saying that women can't work. Not saying that women have to stay home. Saying that it's okay for women to go. They have to all of that uniquely. But to never divorce themselves from their potential motherhood because then they're denying a piece of their bodies and their bodies are good. So, um, the church's stance on contraception, the point is that the one can be integrated, that sexuality is only going to flourish in an exclusive, committed, permanent relationship. And most Catholics go to hear the church's teaching on this, and so they were talking about this with John Paul II, how do we respond to this pastoral challenge? We have these teachings that are there. So John Paul II was talking about the attractiveness of the gospel. He said, we have to give them clear teaching that they can understand the gospel, but we also have to give them the attractiveness of divine truth. Because if it's divine truth, it's attractive. So this bishop was like, well, John Paul II, what the heck does that even mean? Um, he, this was his response. The bishop asked him, how do we make it attractive? Then John Paul II gave me that response that is forever written in my heart. He got very serious, like a philosopher, and said, it is necessary to understand the soul of the woman. All these things which are meant to liberate the woman, premarital sex, contraception, and abortion, have they liberated her or have they enslaved her? Have they liberated her or have they enslaved her? And you tell me, we live in a time of history in the first world country where we should be the most satisfied and fulfilled and free in the entire history of the world. Technically, if sex is the end all be all, having sex without the burden of babies is the end all be all, 
But this movement has been happening for 50 years and we certainly aren't finished trying to create new things. Right? So there's got to be a better way. And he's saying, and my question to you really is, well, women, what do you want? But what do you want? Is, do you desire to be free in the sense of being obsessed with whoever you want and whatever you be? Or do you desire to be known and chosen and loved in such a way that you don't have to change who you are? Which brings me to my next point. These are the battles that people take when they get married. You know, in certain ways. What do you think? I promise to be faithful to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. To love you and to honor you all the days of my life, except for your career. Doesn't say that, right? It's saying all of you, every single piece of you, right? Like, I mean, breaking it down for my high school students, I'm usually like, hey, like, imagine walking down the aisle, and you get down there, and your future husband's like, oh, man, you look great. Like, your nose, like, could you just do something about that? I don't know. Like, it's, you'd be like, okay, you punch in the weight, right? Obviously, you wouldn't marry. Well, why the heck do we think that it's okay that someone who's been trying to change how our bodies work from within our fertility? Do you understand? That's an even bigger thing. That's one of the greatest gifts you've been given as women is to bring life into the world. Not saying you have to have 12 kids. I'm just saying. One of the greatest gifts you've been given is to bring life into the world. Right? That's important to recognize. So, within marriage, how does this play out? Well, earlier I showed you a quote about women is a master of her own history. And I think every single woman was going to be asked her to say, at the end of the day, she wants to be seen and known and heard. Right? She wants to know that you choose her. So the gift is that if you're choosing her as she is, she's free. Because she knows she can be who she is. She doesn't just take these vows. She's taking them for good. Um, and John Paul II, when he's talking about modesty, he's reminding everyone that the body is very good. He actually says that modesty is not about hiding our body, but about revealing our work. He says it's an invitation to contemplation, which opens up the way towards love. That's how we should view the gift of woman's body, which is completely being just driving in terms of our culture, right, in the average. So, believe it or not, the woman who helps start feminism, this is what she said, and I think this quote is worth it, and I hope I'm putting more notes, but I don't know. She said, in an interview with Playboy, I don't know, in 1992, she said, maybe some people still have a call on, but the best sex requires a deeper or profound knowledge of oneself and the other person. In the Bible, sexual love was to know. It suggests something deeper. If you read the Bible, Adam and his wife eat. To know. If to know is to love, then then. The reason why this is important for you just to love women in general, especially if you're called to marriage, is because it's going to be a decision for you to know, to know your wife is to know her. And her body becomes your own and your body becomes hers, and that's how this is important. It's a participation in that. It's not just on her. It can be. There are women that do that, and let me tell you, I've seen them, and there's very difficult marriages. To carry this by yourself is very heavy. Right? The gift is that, this is why I believe you should marry a jerk, honestly. I mean, for many other reasons. But truly, if you want to be respected in your body, it's going to require sacrifice on the biggest part of the world you That's very real. All married couples in the world can attest to that. And like it or not, we're created differently. It's different. Psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, all of it, but physically, even the sexual vibe, it's different for men and for women. Right? Both, it's good, but it's different. 
so what I did was I gave you a lot of books because I knew I was going to stay in my top and never read through all these. And so I'm giving you those to Craig, but we're going to continue. Um, I just wanted you to see this. This is actually something in the beginning when they were creating all these things and showing various methods that a priest did for his people to like see fertile infertility. Just a little plug for the Catholic Church. If you take this and make it horizontal, that's what the stamps line up when a woman is charting. But I like to show this at this Saturday. This is not Catholic Church teaching. I'm just pointing out something. If the church's mother is so feminine in a real sense, but we live seasons liturgically, do we not? So too there are seasons. You get it? Woman is a testament to the world that life is also full of seasons. Also, they didn't her fertility. So, what are we in? We're in Lent. It's actually very common. It's all about sacrifice. We're a little more in tune to that as a topic. But how about the reality that fasting and feasting is real? So, I can't actually ever appreciate feasting as much unless I've truly tried and know what it means to fast. So, too, couples who are at times abstaining from sex because they feel called to not have a child and this kind of fertility, and then they're not abstaining in times of infertility, right? There's like a sense of fasting and feasting. Some couples describe it as a honeymoon effect. Not meaning that there's like fireworks all the time, but meaning you have to be creative in how you love each other. And if creativity is a reflection of God Himself, then I would say that's a really good thing. Because a woman and a man are not just your sexual organs. Your sexuality is completely a part of all of you. So I always tell my couples, okay, this is a time for children. You don't want to have a baby. You shouldn't ignore each other and go sit on the opposite ends of the house, right? But it requires this communication. And Dr. Chassett, who taught me part of these things when we were learning to be practitioners, I remember him saying this, is also it requires that every single month you have a conversation. What often happens with couples, just as life is crazy, is you go a few years and you're like, wait, do, do you want to leave me? Like, what, when do we decide not to? Right? This requires that you're communicating regularly about each other, about your desires for your family, and about how to love each other. Right? And through seasons of life, you're going to desire different things, and that's okay. The beauty of this is, y'all, that if, if we're open to this and not blocking God's mission, this is actually how couples can get super close. Because in so many ways, this part of is also very awkward, but that's okay, right? But you learn each other to know each other in and through not just your souls, but also your bodies. And that is a force to be reckoned with, right? That is beautiful in the true sense of what beauty is. So, what I invite you to do is to pray with the foot so that I have on here, because it's asking a question about what is freedom. And John Paul said it was very clear that freedom cannot be understood as a license to do absolutely anything. It means a gift of self. Even more, it means an interior discipline of the gift. If we are enslaved by vices of lust or egoism, we are not free to love. Our freedom is best measured by our capacity to love. And although many people think that sexual temptation is the absolute purity, John Paul II says that it's really this false notion of freedom. You can't just possess it. It's a gift. It's a struggle. You have to pay a price for it. You have to work hard for it. He also talks about the fact that freedom is something that as you choose these habits and choices through your thoughts, words, actions, everything, it becomes more natural to you. All habits become more natural. I don't talk to a couple who's like, not living this out, and then expecting the next day to live this out perfectly. I don't know if a couple that live out, no one lives out perfectly. 
That's why there's the grace and suffering and it's in the Eucharist, right? It's a call and it's a journey. Um, but the point is to liberate each person. Here, the goal is for each of us to rediscover the style of meaning of the body. Um, the style of meaning of the body, meaning we get to participate in God's goodness and his creativity. So, a few more things. Um, this is a quote from John Paul II's Theology of Life. And if you refer to Ephesians 5, we talk about mutual submission and um, really this sort of like reverence for each other. He says that fear of Christ and reverence about which the author of Ephesians speaks is nothing other than a spiritual mature form of that reciprocal fascination. That is to say, of the man for femininity and of the woman for masculinity, which reveals itself for the first time in Genesis. Here to first when they say they were naked without shame before the fall. By calling the couple to submit to one another in the fear of Christ, and then by stirring their desire for reference and conjugal relations, so merely, Ephesians seems to highlight chastity as a virtue and as a gift, in keeping with the following tradition. So, too, chastity is apparently the way in which we maintain the integrity of the powers of life and love that are placed within us, body and soul. And chastity includes an apprenticeship and self mastery, which is a training in freedom. Either we learn to govern our passions, this is men and women, either we learn to govern our passions, we find peace, or we are dominated by it, and we are unhappy. And that's in all aspects of spiritual life, not just sexuality. It is a school of the gifts of the person, or to the gift itself, and it blossoms in friendship. So it's good, you're all here, making a friend. But truly, the point is that each of us stands in the witness that God is real. All of us are signed. What this is supposed to mean is our existence is a sign that two people came together in love. So each of our existence shows God is love, and love is continuing, right? Um, but the gift of the marriage that we were talking about is that the love binds the bridegroom to be concerned for the good of the bride, and it commits him to desire her beauty, and at the same time to sense this beauty and to care for it. So, Sexual freedom is not the license to use and be used. Um, when we look at sexual desire as a measure of our freedom, we are sorely disappointed, and um, we realize that it's going to fail us. And this, I did give you as a quote, but um, basically, if I wish to leave anything, I wish to leave with this. The culture is selling us um, sexual expression as free love. Do whatever you want, no consequences, blah. But this leads to slavery of lust and divorce when we talk about the freedom from the truth. And he says this, Man has been endowed with an intellect not merely to calculate the greatest possible pleasure that can be achieved, but more importantly to discern what is truly good. He has been endowed with free will not to do whatever he pleases, but to make a gift of himself in love. For this reason, the Pope told the young people that their life has meaning to the extent that it becomes a free gift for others. John Paul is ordering people to overcome their fears, and not merely the fear of evil or persecution, but also the fear of who God is calling them to become. To fulfill their vocation to either the married or religious life, men and women cannot be afraid to follow Christ on the royal road of the cross. Do not be afraid of the demands that love makes. I think all of us struggle with that. Fear is one of the biggest topics of the enemy is paralyzing. And I think sometimes we're afraid to love because we know it's going to hurt or it's going to cost us something. 
But it is a greatest gift, and it actually overcomes the glory ourselves, and so can live the call that the glory of God is made fully alive. We can only be fully alive in the measure that we offer ourselves as a gift to another, a sincere gift. So, to take with me, um, Father Andrew has been sharing a lot with the team, and Asadia and Shadia are today. So we come up a lot more than just different conversations. And it usually describes like the sadness towards the sacred or loss of the joy of the joy that they have in there. So when you see the good of like it's too much, right? John Paul II is saying, it is too much. You're incapable of doing this by yourself. Ask for grace to live this out, to ask them to purify your beings. Because he says in scripture, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When we cultivate gazes that are pure, then everything becomes a gift. Do you understand? We see things in the purity of how they're created from the beginning. And so too then, perfect love casts out fear. And for a woman entering marriage and vice versa, she doesn't need to be afraid, or he doesn't need to be afraid because their spouse is like looking all around all the people. It's a committed relationship. Woman's body stands as a testament to man that you are responsible for me. If you want to have pleasure with me, you are responsible for my body and for what happens as a result. If women just give themselves over to contraception and other separate things, it's almost like a saying, it's okay to just have your faith in me. But it's not. And the reason why the Lord desires sexual relationship in marriage is because it's the only thing that's strong enough to hold the sacred weight of something as incredible and powerful as the life force that is possible to the man and woman who give themselves over to each other and into the other bodies, being drawn by the Holy Spirit. And it is holy. And it is good. And if you want to prepare for whatever that your vocation is, especially for cause of marriage, for a second, women, learn how your bodies work. Charming is a pain in the butt. I'm serious. I know. I get it. Trust me. However, it is also part of our sanctification. It is not for any just same old purpose. It's for a normal purpose. Right? It is. Whether you're married or married. Get to know how the Lord created you and cultivate that space in your heart that knows you are called to bring life into the world. And that whenever you offer love, it's an eternal offering because it is love. Regardless of the recipient, if they receive it or if they it, it doesn't matter. Love is eternal. The gift of who you are is good. It's worth it. It's not just enough. It's perfect as it is. Do not believe a lie. You need to change yourself to get to who you are for happiness or for freedom. And then, for you, preparation for whatever that you're called to, this would be the time in your life where you are learning what it means to say yes and let your yes say yes and no, let your no be no. The feasting and fasting thing is real. Naturally, planning it holds its own unique struggles for both, but for men it is hard to say no when you have desires. And you should desire a wife, because she's awesome, she's beautiful, and we're made it that way. Sometimes you can't engage in that intimacy because you know that as a family, you're not supposed to move beyond where you are. Praise God, that's good. But if you expect to be able to look your wife in the eyes and love her for all that she is and respect the word that you're giving her in the gift of your body, then now today is when you cultivate the capacity to say no to get some gratification for a greater purpose. But as I'm fasting, it's extremely important, right? 
for men to be built off the whole happy. I love to run and work out and do it. But for men, like this is also where you your training physically is just as important as that. I'm not saying you have to go work out all the time. I'm just saying part of promoting human hobby and work, it's important like physical things are good for you. Like go. Do it. But cultivate your passions in such a way that you can sacrifice your whole self in the gift for another. Do you understand? This is not wasted time. This time is the mercy of God in each of your lives. And it's important. So don't waste it. It wouldn't get talked about in the same session. You all know the point of this book. The point is, you need to cultivate childlike wonder. And he has this other quote about, like, um, it's a wonder that any man should complain that he can only be married to one woman. But the heck, like, it's a gift to even just see one woman. And, like, yeah, thanks. I know. <laughs> Go to get He's the best. He has such a childlike heart, right? But that's the truth. When you live in a world, men, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry to this second off. But pornography, I hate it with a vengeance. I want to punch people in the face because of that crap, right? I really mean that. I know it's funny from my word just now, but I really want to people. Um, but here's the reality. The culture's telling us that women and men in our bodies in a sexual act is something that's almost for everyone. And it's, it's not this sacred, beautiful intimacy between two people that is hidden other than for them and God himself. That it is literally so sacred that it's for them for God. And that is why women and men are in more fear of how the other people view them. Because I really have pride over the fact that my friends and myself, chances are gone if we're going to enter marriage and be the first naked woman of God will ever see. We should mourn that. That is not what God intended for us. However, God's grace is real. Hope is here. We can still cultivate that pure gaze. That is what God's grace can do. It works miracles. The sacrament of marriage can raise to a sacrament. So it dispenses grace. It's the best thing ever. Okay. Last two slides to prove that to you. John Paul II in the Elder Black talks about Tobias and Sarah. If you don't know, basically she was married seven times and her husband's all died before they could come together. Which is funny, but I like being on top. I'm like, y'all, that's crazy. It happened. So on the wedding night when they get married, he's like, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> and she's like, he might die. I'm making fun. And John Paul II was saying, this is a test for both of them. Because I'm like, he's going to die. He's going to die for obviously. And if he does die, her heart's going to be pierced again. And that's going to kill her spiritually. Right? Her daddy sent to the servant and go, Do you agree with these guys who are sharing your time? So, but when on the wedding night with their viewers who spouses to speak reciprocally with the language of the body, meaning with their bodies around them, they transform this language into a single voice. But unison is prayer. This voice, this act of speaking in unison, allows both of them to pass beyond the limit situations or limitations he might die, his way around the world, etc. And for us, our hearts are always pure, we need to continue to help things we're limited. Um, beyond the threat of evil and death, and as much as they open themselves up totally in the unity of the two to the living God, their prayers are more the power are drawn from the sources of the covenant and of grace. It is possible to live holy to sacrament of marriage, especially in the marital union. Not perfection, 
but to be for each other this way is not good, that your body is mine and my body is yours, and so too we are one on this journey towards heaven. And so the prayer that I love, um, so if you buy like, to the rest of you, you say where it feels like, here, take this fish, and you see it says from this like, liver and stuff, and the demon will play, it really happens. So the demon please, um, and so Tobias could be afraid of this fear. So through this invitation of the angel, he does what he's supposed to do. The demon flees, and it says, When the door was shut and the two were alone, Tobias got up from the bed and said, Sister, always my sister, my brother, some songs, but who's first? She's your sister in humanity when you get married, man. Sister, get up and let us pray that the Lord may have mercy upon us. And Tobias began to pray. Blessed art thou, O God of our fathers, and blessed be thy holy and glorious name forever. Let the heavens and all thy creatures bless thee. Thou madest Adam and gavest him Eve, his wife, as a helper and support. From them the race of mankind was strong. Thou didst say, It is not fit that the man should be alone. Let us make a helper fit for him, like himself. And now, O Lord, I am not taking the sister of mine because of lust, but with sincerity. Grant that I may find mercy, and may grow old together with her. And she said with him, Amen. Then they both went to sleep for the night. Let's close right there. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord, we just pray to thank you for the gift of this time. Lord, I ask that you would give to each of us just to see the truth, to see how you have created us in wonder and in awe. How even our fertility and our bodies are gifts that reflect you to the world and to humanity. We ask, Lord, that we can be just worthy recipients of this gift, Lord, and that we can respond to your grace to fight the battles we are called to fight, especially the battle to remain first and foremost who we are as your sons and who we are as your daughters. And Father, we trust our lives, our vocations, our holiness. Everything you're calling us to in love, to your fatherhood, and to your promises. As we say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And St. John Paul II. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Before you move, take those sheets on the back bottom there. There's resources, there's books. There's a video I highly recommend called The Economic Success. It's like a secular review of the birth control effect on society. It's fascinating. It's worth it. Um, if you are a woman and interested in learning how to chart, do it. All of you do it. Get a free app. Um, fertility track is one of them. That's free. There's like hundreds. But if you want to learn how to chart this with a creative model, I have an email on the list. If you want to learn how to specifically chart with Priscilla and the Americas, this is Rebecca. I'm just going to wait over here. There's a sign-up sheet. We have an organized ladies that you can learn how to chart your cycles with Rebecca and Priscilla and the Americas, which is a good one. She's a great option. She's going to be offering intro sessions next Tuesday and next Wednesday. I think Tuesdays at 3 and Wednesdays at 5. In the classrooms upstairs. This is a great opportunity. You, a lot of you have told me you want to start learning this, and I want to encourage you in that. Also, on this table over here,
For all the women in the room who shall just grab one, if it's a PMS symptom tracker, just take it. Okay, and what you do is you track your PMS symptoms instead of like feeling crazy all the time. You can actually monitor your symptoms what's happening. You're going to realize it's connected to something else, and then you can, in your journey, figure out how many of these things are happening. It's kind of take more ownership over that. Um, thank you for your time. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you.